created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, the fireside chat about U.S. higher education, the news and the stories of campus life. I'm Dr. Laura DeVoe, a 30-year higher education veteran who has dedicated her life to college students. Over those years, I celebrated underdogs who won championships. I ate more pizza than a human being should ingest in a lifetime. And I shook the hands of graduates as they grabbed hold of that hard-earned diploma on the first day of the rest of their lives. And that's why I'm here. You see, there are lived experiences, there are stories, there are moments that students have on campus that prepare them for life. I wanna connect with these people and those who help them along the way and hear how campus life brought their real life purpose. There are so many stories on campus and that's why I hope you'll stay to listen, contribute and become part of the community. So join me for Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, only here on Fireside Chat. All right. Well, welcome after, welcome. Good afternoon. And uh, it is time. My name is Dr. Laura DeVoe. That was very good. Um, and welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I'm literally like, if you saw me right now, I'm like an octopus. My hands are in about 16 different places. I am thrilled to welcome my good friend, Alex Cabal. Uh, and Alex, welcome to Dr. DeVoe, oh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. How are you? So exciting. Thank you for having me. I feel like I haven't been to an office hour in like 15, 20 years. I don't yeah. even know. I know, right? <laughs> it was, it was, did you ever go to office hours as a student? I did, actually. You did? It, I, for undergrad, a little bit, but that's it. And then I yeah. was like, mm, I'm good. And, you know, I became cocky and I was like, I got this. <laughs> but it was good. Pride show. So happy, happy pride. Happy Pride to you too. And what have you done anything fun for Pride? Have you and Dustin done anything fun? For Pride? <sighs> Actually, we went away for um, a few days in Arizona, so that's a very, I, I don't know if this tied to Pride, but it felt really uh, re-energized. I can't even yeah. talk today, that's but a, yeah, we're, that's we're how we celebrate. There's some kind of like thing happening in the air. That Moment, like, yeah. So that's how we celebrated Pride this year. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, well, so welcome. Uh, Alex and I have known each other for quite some time. Uh, he uh, was one of my mentees uh, when he first entered the field of student affairs. And uh, so uh, we have known each other for a while. I, I went to his wedding. I've seen mm -hmm. him grow as both a uh, person and as a professional, um, which shouldn't be two different things, but for some people it is. Uh, so uh, Alex, I invited him here to be a part of the Pride show because uh, we are going to talk about LGBTQIA uh, students and what a great campus community means for them and their growth. But I want to first give uh, Alex an opportunity to introduce himself to everyone here in Fireside. And, uh, and I think you're going to fall in love with them just like I did. So Alex, tell folks about yourself, what you do and what you're all about. 
For sure. So, um, my name is Alex. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Laura. Um, my pronouns are he, him, his, and I am currently the director of the Center for Diversity and Social Justice Programs at Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I've been in that role for five years, um, doing you know, basically DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work through um, campus engagement and a lot of student interaction. I've been in the field of higher education since 2005, and I sort of had to moved around from different um, functional areas. You know, I started my career in housing, moved to student activities, did some leadership development at some point, some orientation. I dabble in fraternity sorority life in grad school um i know that's that's enough i was like i'm just gonna dabble i'm just gonna dabble i'm gonna dabble in greek life and then and that's it yes as a former greek life well i guess not former because once you're in it you're always in it right um so yeah anyway so i've been kind of doing that and aside from that i'm very involved with naspa which is a one of the national associations for higher education so through there i've gotten to sort of experience our feel from a different perspective so i'm really excited to be here um yeah and i can't wait to start talking that's great. Well, you have been talking, but that's good, right? Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> conversating, yeah, conversating. So, that's so right. in your role, and I mean, you've you've spent a lot of time uh, both on campus as a student and now as an, an administrator. And when um, we think about students, and especially our LGBTQIA students, because that's what yeah. we want to focus on today, is uh, campuses can be a place where they really start to experience something very different than maybe what they're used to at home uh, and what they may have had an opportunity to see growing up. Um, You've been working with students for quite some time. Talk about the importance of the environment and what a good, I mean, if you were going to say to a campus and say they don't know what they need, what are probably the top two things that a campus really needs to have a handle on in order to even begin to create a great environment for LGBTQI, LGBTQIA <laughs> students on campus. Yes. And I might use the word queer, inter- like going back to, you know, some I, sometimes I use queer or LGBTQIA. So I just want to make fine. sure that, yeah, awesome. That's actually a great question. I think for, um, I would say that one, I think institutions need to look at their policies because we it needs to start from the like inside, right? That's what I call sort of like policies and procedures, like what's happening from the inside. So, right, I think our students now are more aware of who they are from when I was a student, right? Let's right. take the whole the pronouns, the use of pronouns. Back in 2005 or actually 2001 when I started college, I would have never even thought about people's pronouns or what does that mean for folks or the impact that it had on sort of, uh, someone's college career, right? And now I think that's something that our students come in just naturally. It's been part of their lives. It's been introduced. It's been sort of quote unquote normalized in their world, right? And so I think colleges have to adapt to that. Right. We always assume I always think that I have an assumption that a lot of colleagues assume that our students 
do not know a lot about DEI, specifically perhaps around LGBTQI issues. But in reality, they're coming in with so much knowledge that they're teaching us. Right. Right. So I think something that one of I think that's important. I think just the procedures, just the paperwork itself, like what's in your application process? How do you define gender? How do you define sex? Perhaps um, what are you asking? The questions that you're asking? Are you asking for pronouns from the beginning? Are, mm-hmm. Is it just mm-hmm. like a checkbox? Do you allow folks to self-identify? Right. So thinking about that. And, and making sure that once they start doing that, it sort of connects. The biggest issues on campus that I've seen is that we are great at intake information, but somehow in the translation from intake to um, other reports, something goes missing, <laughs> right? right? So right. I think we need to make sure that the communication between our sort of, at least our technology platforms are connected. You know, I've had mm-hmm. students that, you know, have come to me and said, hey, like when I came in here, I make sure that I put my preferred uh, name and, you know, and I specifically said this way. But I'm in the middle of a class or the beginning of a class and my professor's calling me by something else. Yeah. Right. So we yeah. need to make sure that we understand our, how our platforms are communicating to avoid those issues, because I think that's where the lack of inclusivity like there's no inclusion because our students are seeing that we keep messing up right i'm really glad you brought that up because i've been mentoring a young person who um they want to uh put down their chosen name they want to get rid of their dead name on their campus and the amount of work that they're going through right now to make this happen um and it's also where one side of the house is actually being uh helpful right yep so in in their Blackboard campuses, for those in the audience and those listening, campuses have these uh, platforms, either Canvas or Blackboard. It's a place where the learning process takes place. Okay, so it's it houses your syllabus, it houses your your course content, things of that nature. And in that space, you can easily on this campus ask for a name change. And it's done literally like in minutes and it's all reflected in Blackboard. But in the registrar's information that houses your actual name on your transcript and uh, the bursar who has the name on your bill, that is not the case. And you have to go through these big fiery hoops. And to your point, Alex, this idea of how does inclusivity actually happen? Well, the important thing is the process, right? Of course, yes. And and so if we don't have a process that's sound, uh, then the students get get tossed aside. Um, one thing you didn't bring up was this, uh, and, and I know I, I only gave you a couple things to answer with, but I want to talk to you about the idea of counseling and mental health. Well, that's and, actually interesting you said that because that was going to be my sort of number two Okay. Um, to sort of, how do we make sure that people are seen, are feel heard and seen and can relate to individuals? I think our, everything around DI for me involves around representation of visibility, right? So yeah. I think counseling and the mental well, mental health wellness for mm-hmm. our LGBTQ mm-hmm. students are very specific. So if folks are not well equipped to work with our, you know, our queer students on campus, then we're not 
providing the best service that we can, right? Mm-hmm. We have to move beyond the, oh, I totally understand, like, you know, the old school mentality that we, you know, we could help everybody. In reality, we need to make sure that the folks who are in those spaces are trained and specifically have experience working with LGBTQIA or mm-hmm. queer students because then they will be, be able to provide the best service. Also, mm-hmm. you know, as a you know, as a gay student, I would walk into a space and I would feel much comfortable talking to perhaps another gay counselor, right? Or um, because there's that connection and perhaps I, as a student, I would assume, okay, this individual will not necessarily understand what I'm going through, but perhaps will get it, mm-hmm. right? And that mm-hmm. connection is really important. But the representation visibility is just across sort of everywhere right like what's out there what kind of images do we put on um what kind of uh communication does the university or college have uh through their publications through their social media um and all that right and and you bring up really good points here and i think that there are all these elements around inclusivity and what that all means to students and um you know i i teach a class right now in student affairs. You actually were one of my guest speakers this past week. Yes. So you're having a big Lord of a week, which I am. I love it. Literally people literally pay top dollar for this, but anyway, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but in a in class a couple weeks ago, we were talking about politics on campus and my, one of my uh, guests was a woman named Gage Payne. Dr. Payne um, actually was the former uh, vice president for student affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. And and Texas is a very conservative state, as you know. And um, they're very picky about where uh, state funds go to set, to uh, finance uh, what's happening on campus. And Gage was talking about how important it was that when she was putting her budget together every year, that there were certain things like the LGBTQIA center or the, or the women's center or the black student center. It didn't, it, it was, you know, several spaces on campus that could absolutely have zero to do with specific lines of uh, state money. Um, And in some ways I, I like that actually creates in my mind for the institution to say, when you know that the money is not supported by the state, how do you create a student experience that goes beyond what's not permitted? Okay. And I I literally sit there, I'm like, that is such a leadership conundrum to be in, right? Because you have to put it out there and you have to make the students feel that they're, that they are part of the community in intentional and authentic ways. And then on the other side, you have to sit down in front of a bunch of board of trustees or regents members and talk about, we're still providing these services, but by the way, you had nothing to do with it because you refused to let the money come here. Um, Yeah, that's like a struggle of many public universities, right? I think that's the, and I think, yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky that I've only worked in private, (laughs) in private universities where I that has never been in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, such a shift how you have yeah. to think about providing services to your student. Be, because at one point it becomes sort of like a game or like a puzzle. Like, okay, who am I going to ask? Where am I going to get this funding? Is right. it a grant? Is it a, is it donated by an alum? Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. if, you know, if alums donate, I feel like alums have a lot of power when they say, I have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And this is where it's going to go to. 
you know, and so where it's not going to go to. Right. Exactly. 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 Yeah. And and, it, and it's also, I think there's also the politics of the space does have an impact on what students may apply to the institution or schools in that, in that state. So uh, for instance, I was working at um, Boston University when uh, gay marriage was uh, made legal in, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It was the first state to, to mm -hmm. do so. And our numbers of LGBTQIA students just bloop. The next year just went blammo. Okay. Oh, and, you know, because people said, I want to be in Massachusetts. And I, I remember meeting a student the following fall and he had come from Oklahoma. Yep. And he said, I needed to get out of Oklahoma. I, I just had to go somewhere. And when I read that Massachusetts passed gay marriage, I applied to every, I didn't even know where I was applying, like was literally, yeah. I was like, I just applied to anywhere. And I, he came to BU sight unseen, like he had gotten into BU and he said, I'm just going to go to Boston university. And, and he got a scholarship because he was from Oklahoma and sometimes, and this isn't for this show, but when you are trying to figure out how to finance your kid's education, if you are uh, coming to a private institution from a state that's underrepresented in terms of enrollment, they may have like extra, extra money or scholarship money because yep. you're from Oklahoma and you're coming to Boston University. So you may find that, but that's another yeah. show for another time. But um, I mean, with that example, though, many students, many LGBT students that I've worked with have sort of wanted to start fresh, wanted to start new. So they find areas and schools and communities where they could be themselves, the true authentic selves, right? So I think that's where a lot of our queer students come and want to be who they are, you know, and they, and it's depending on their, on their life situations, like they go back and forth, right? They could be out and mm -hmm. proud on campus, but mm -hmm. Thanksgiving hits and the yeah. first visit goes home. They go back into the closet. They go back to be sort of the, the way that their parents um, you know, saw them as before, right, right? right? Or you have the opposite, which, you know, could be a difficult transition for a lot of our LGBTQ students where they have experienced freedom, you know, uh, mm -hmm. they have experienced life moments of happiness and being themselves and they're ready to go back to you know, a, perhaps a place like Oklahoma, like the right, student, right. and say, hey, parents, Thanksgiving's here, guess what? <laughs> you know, it's yep. this is me. And it's sort of, and then it becomes another type of conversation to have with the students. Yeah, no, and, and you bring that up. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, too, is, is that when a campus actually creates a, a safe space for a student, and they're actually thriving, and they're mentally yep. in a good space, um, I've seen many, many times where students say, what do I have to do to stay here all summer? How do uh, I, yep. how do I stay on campus all summer? I will be a tour guide. I will be an orientation leader. I will, I will literally, um, you know, I'll make beds on campus because you may have a big campus, uh, conference program yep. and say, you know, I'll, I'm fine. I will strip and make beds all summer if I don't have to go home. Um, and yep. those are those things where when you hear students say, I just need to be here, that is something that I think that you know, we have to be very mindful of the fact that we have students who are looking um, to take control of where they're at mentally, where they're mm -hmm. at emotionally, 
address trauma that has happened in their lives and we need to give them that space. And colleges and universities provide students, especially our queer students, with a safe space. And it's not just that you know, back in the old days where you had your pink triangle on the door and it said safe space and it was onesie, twosie, one office, this person. Okay. Um, and, but that's, it's, it's definitely evolved from that. And I hear, I hear it in your voice. How has it evolved from that for those who might be remembering, remembering (laughs) that? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I'm such against creating those like quote unquote safe spaces, stickers or trainings, because Mm -hmm. I don't really believe that we could promise a safe space. I think we could promise our best for students to feel uh, included and welcome. And, you know, I think I mentioned this to you before, like, you know, I'm a true believer of creating brave spaces because it also allows students to advocate for themselves, right. To, to, to look out for those resources on their own. So, yeah, I think, I think university has definitely shifted the idea of like, okay, let's get together in a room and let's talk about, the Mm -hmm. lgbtq acronym and you know here's how to be a a, a quote-unquote ally and boom Mm -hmm. you're done now right you have a sticker and people come in you get you get your sticker and you go home yay and you're so proud and then that's it right i think what we've i've seen is that that training has elevated into having continuous education mm-hmm. for especially faculty staff who our yes. students are looking for in those moments. But I also seen a greater increase of mentor to mentor, uh, student to student mentoring, which mm-hmm. is fantastic, right? At Wentworth, we just started um, in the fall. Uh, we're going to have our queer peers program. So it's a mentoring program for first year students um, in I was I was very surprisingly shocked to be honest about how many students, no pun intended, came out mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to apply to be our mentors. You know, it, it it so to me it showed that one, my department, my office. You know, I'll brag a little bit about myself. Like we Hello. did something that allowed those students to say, you know what. I'm comfortable who, with who I am. I feel that I could provide the same to future students. So I hope that more colleges and universities go to that sort of, you know, work. Because who is better to tell a student how life is on a college campus than another student? Right. No, you're absolutely correct. And and when a student actually, uh, if something resonates with them and they say, I am being asked to challenge myself to put myself out there to mentor another student, at least they also know you. I'm going to say it. Your office clearly has taken this to another level to allow for students to say, you know what, I'm going to try this. I'm going to be a mentor. And I trust that Alex and his team are going to support me in this, even if I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Exactly. And, yes. And, and that's super important because if a student, it, it takes a lot for a person who is your traditional age college student between the ages of 18 and 22 years old to put themselves out there as an expert in anything. And that idea of being a mentor, you do have to have a certain amount of confidence. You may not be an expert, but you at least need to be confident enough to say, these are things that have worked for me. How can I help you through this? These are some challenges that I've had. This is how I overcame them. And there's a certain amount of vulnerability as well as confidence. I was just going, you took the word out of my mouth. 
like the vulnerability and the brave, I guess the courage because, you know, to share part of your identities with not just another student, but really with the campus. Right. right, right. Um, it's, it's, it's huge to me. And it, sometimes I'm just like, my God, like, I don't know if I could have been this brave when I was in college. Right. Like yep. I had my, I was part of the GSA group, you know, but I don't know if I could have been that person. Like I see my student and I'm just in awe all the time when I talk to my students to see like, you're teaching me a lot. You yes. think I'm teaching you? <laughs> no, the, you're teaching the, me a lot. Gen Z students are a very different uh, hardwiring than oh. even the millennials were. And I, I like to say that Gen X, which is my generation, was the ones who bucked every damn rule. We were just like, <laughs> screw you. We're going to do it our own way. You know, we were the latchkey kids. We were the ones who came home after school. We kind of let ourselves in. We ate a box of Twinkies and we went outside and played, you know, mm. you know, played and, and made all kinds of messes and got got in trouble. Yes. And then we came up into college and and it was the Reagan era and we all were a mess. OK. And so that was happening. And then the millennials showed up, which is your generation. Yep. And they were very parent oriented. The parents were very involved with them, whereas and the Gen Xers were going, what the hell is it? I never talked to my parents. You guys talk to them every freaking day. <laughs> yes. And um, right. But you also had a self-awareness. You knew who you were. You knew what it was about. The society hadn't caught up with you um, yep. in many ways. And the other piece of that, too, is that you were rule followers where we were rule fighters. You were rule followers. OK, you may not have liked the rules, but you said, OK, these are the rules. OK, mm -hmm. I say with Gen Z is that they still get along with their parents. They like their parents, but they never will call them their best friends. The millennials called their parents their best friends. The, the Gen Zers are like, I love my parents, but they're my parents. You're my friends. Okay. Were you talking? Are you? Were you? Are you talking about my husband? About the best friend family? I hope he doesn't hear this. That is exactly. I, I my am telling husband. you. I, I am telling you. Right. My mom is my best friend. I'm like, my okay. Friend, that's fine. He's a millennial, right? <laughs> right. Yes. You tell us that I said that, right? But the Gen Zers, they say, no, my my parents are my parents, and my friends are my friends. I love them. But, yes. But the other thing about as far as being rule folks. The Gen Z generation are rules adjacent. And this is a concept that I've come up with. I'm going to patent it. And if any of you people in the audience steal it, I will find you and I will hunt you down. But <laughs> when I say that they are rules adjacent, what I mean by that is they get it. These are the rules. I understand the rules. In some ways, I'm okay with the rules. But right now, I need you to know that as a queer, uh, non-binary folk from you know, Teaneck, New Jersey, this rule doesn't work for me. Exactly. And I want you to know, this is how I want you to change it so it can work for me. So they actually push it and they say, I don't, the rule is here. I understand it. I'm going to tell you why I don't think it works for me. And I'm going to give you suggestions on how to make it work for me. And then and they, they also, they move to that demand for it to work for me. Go ahead. For sure. No, I and I was going to say that too, but I, I, and I think as administrators, I think we need to be just willing to listen and to take it. I think I, I've seen a lot of colleagues who get so defensive and so against what our students need in order yep. to be part of our community that it's like, 
it's not about you. Like you didn't create this policy. Like someone back mm-hmm. in whatever years did. We yes. need to change with the time. So rather yes. than being like aggressive about it, let's just listen to students. And it, yeah, you know, I mean, you've been a yep. part of policy changes. It doesn't. It some some of them you can make it right on the spot. You don't have right. to go through like several committees, or mm-hmm. through the board of trustees or the president. Sometimes you have the ability to say, you know what, let's change that today. Right. It's like because when I. Can. When I when we got uh, to a point at, a, at an institution I was working at um, and we decided we're going to have and this was the, the this was the terminology of the day. OK, yep. so I'm going to sound dated with the terminology of the day, called a gender neutral housing. And yep. so we were saying we're going to have it that anyone can live in a room regardless of who they're living with and the gender identity of that person. OK, and your and your gender identity. Yep. And that went beyond anything we ever had. And it literally was, you know, because of the way I, I presented it, it was easy. Like there, I got less pushback on that than I did about changing the alcohol policy. <laughs> yes, 100 percent. Right. And so it, it was very interesting, but it was it allowed for us. And what was the, the hook? And for those who are sitting in the audience right now, and by the way, welcome to Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I am Laura DeVoe, and I am here with my wonderful guest, Alex Cabal, and and it is our Pride Show, and we're talking about uh, queer students on campus, what matters, how they stay, how they get connected, um, and uh, how they actually find a sense of uh, self-identity and belonging and yeah. all the things that are the good stuff about being on campus. So if you have a question, please, this is Fireside, so please raise your hand, ask to come up on stage. We'd love to have you up here, and we'd love to take your question. Um, but I think one of the things I want to kind of stress about that is that for the folks in the audience who may not be higher ed folks or for the folks who might be listening to this in the replay is that we care so much about retention and completion in higher education yeah. is that you want to be able to create any opportunity that is actually working to make people feel any of our students feel that they belong on the campus and the campus is there to support them. Mm-hmm. And if that means housing, that means housing. And I had some uh, young gay men who were part of my community at the time who chose to live with straight women. And they absolutely were, they literally came to my office and said, this was the best thing you've ever done. Because now I have a space where I can live and I don't have to worry about coming back to my room and feeling uncomfortable in my space and feeling that I am going to be, you know, treated a certain way by, by the, the roommate I had previously had. And, you know, just making that one adjustment, not only did that help the student, but you said it earlier about this idea of creating these brave spaces that yeah. created a brave space. And it also allowed for the students and the staff and the faculty to understand uh, the, our queer students in a different way. Yeah. And right. Right. And it didn't take like days, weeks, years to complete. No. It was just a decision that could have been was made there. And you saw the significant impact of it. And I think that's what we need to be more. We need to be brave like our students our like administrative colleagues. We just need to mm-hmm. step out of the bubble that we were in, the bubble that we study in, and just sometimes go for it rather than yes. being so scared of what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. If you... Are, if you piss 10 people off, but you make five people happy, yep. 
what are you going to think about the end? Right. Mm-hmm. That's sometimes that's what when I do things, sometimes maybe that's not a good mentality to have. But, you know, I always say, like, yes, I might do this mentoring program. Right. Some people might be against it. But you know what? There's their personal opinion. It doesn't affect them. If, you know, like I said, if 12 students are happy with this, then my job is done. Right. right. And I think it will continue to happen. So I think it's something new is always something scary. Like I can't imagine you know, gender neutral yeah. housing when it started is sort of like the unknown and like, oh, things are going to be, you know, weird. And, you know, what is that going to happen? Or are people going right. to like utilize it just to live with like somebody like, else? Like boyfriend, boyfriend or girlfriend. Or girlfriend. And I literally said to them, I said, if that's what people want to do, fine. Okay. Like that's exactly. I'm like, I'm not here to like, you know. I'm not here to analyze why people are doing this. I'm just saying this, if this makes people happy. And, you know, when we went through it, the hardest part was, to be honest with you, setting up the the back of the house bullshit where you had to track who was in the building. We had to, like, work with our programmers to say, yes, I know that ultimately the way the housing assignment system is, it won't accept a male-female roommate yeah. pairing. Um, and they were like, no, no, we can fix it. We have a, no, we have a way to fix it. Okay, great. Fix it. That there we go. Now we're done. Good. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I mean, that's, that's always been a good thing too. And I mean, for the folks in the audience, also not in higher education, you know, there's are also communities called, you know, learning living communities or LLCs, yeah. right. Where, uh, many universities ch- choose to pick a theme like i mean we could say like i remember that when i was a first year student i got into umass hamhurst um and i was so excited that to potentially live on the gay floor yeah. for the record i don't know if that's what they call it but when <laughs> i was in high school that's what i call it i was like yes yeah. i get to live in the gay floor right. i get to be with sort of like my people and that was just a relief because i knew that i would be in a comfortable safe for hopefully safe environment with people that mm-hmm. perhaps get get me um so i think i've seen a lot of those sort of llc's happen in universities and when you do them well it works so well they do work very well there's now one of the things that a lot of school or a lot of kids do and their parents uh frankly is there's ways to rank <laughs> Uh, you know, U.S. News and World Report is obviously the most famous ranking system yeah. uh, for for um, colleges and universities. But there is, I think, what is it called? The rainbow um, ranking? What is it? There's a LGBTQIA ranking system. And now I can't remember yes. what it is. Why am I blanking out? I know. Why are we, we're both we're, we're both now Googling this. But, um, <laughs> exactly, you know, yeah. do, do you participate in that or do you not participate in that? We do not participate in it. Because a hundred percent, I can tell you that we would, <laughs> we would probably not be near right. near any points uh, to be even up there. Yes, I, something that I've been thinking about uh, even pre-COVID, but then COVID happened and the funds went away. You know how mm-hmm. things happen. But yeah, I know of many universities who um, the index, the LGBTQ yes, uh, the index, uh, index. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, but I think that's something that a lot of students should look lo- look up. Um, before they even attend, even before they apply, I think it's such a good resource for students to have. Yes. And, and, but I think it also is, especially for if we have some students who are listening who don't have the support of parents uh, in this or don't have the support of an adult uh, mentor in all of this, that actually is a, is a decent thing to look at 
um, in terms of uh, what is out there and what students can uh, find in terms of yep. resources and a good place. Um, because if you're actually looking to go to a school that will be supportive of you, um, it would be, I think, a great opportunity to start there uh, for folks who are really trying to start anew and start a new life, uh, so yeah. to speak, on campus. That, and that would be me. My advice also would be, you know, yes, that's a great start. But once you start doing research about the school you're interested in, if there's nothing mentioned about even right let's put up let's put my feelings aside about the word safe space right even if like if the university doesn't mention safe space programming or nothing about lgbtq or pride month that's a sign to me yes. that yes. the this the, the university perhaps is not their priority right it might be there but it's not a priority enough for them to sort of put it out there so that would be also my suggestion for any queer student or lgbtq student who's listening to to do that fine you could find nuggets in there to yes. to give you a clue that this place is at least trying to be inclusive yes and well and that's even you can just go on their website yes and you see what's on the calendar this month okay even though it's summer um there is and people say well it's summer or they have anything going on um they you know they should be having some kind of representation event i'm just putting up in the fortune cookie um the uh website for the pride index of campus private index in case people want to check that out um, but that'll be up there and for those listening in the replay it is campus pride index and the website is campusprideindex.org one word campusprideindex.org. Um, yep. and, uh, but if you go on the website and you see there is absolutely nary one, one thing, uh, discussed around, uh, pride, there's nothing in the calendar. The school has never had a drag show. They've never had an event that is anything about queer, queer culture or queer life. That tells you something, as, as you just said. Um, and But also, I would also say this, if you are looking at schools that are uh, Catholic or oh, uh, yes. Christian, um, some of them do have uh, queer student organizations. Some of them do not. Um, that's the other place I would recommend people to go if they're trying to determine, is this going to be a safe space for me? Um, go on to the student activities page um, yep. on the website, see what clubs and organizations are listed. That will tell you pretty yeah. much everything you need to know, um, you know, and that sort of thing. Other and social media, well, and social media has, has made, um, has made things more accessible, right? So even, you know, you go through the website, you find there is an LGBTQ sort of gay straight alliance, you know, whatever, queer group on campus. Mm -hmm. Then if they do have an Instagram or a Twitter, I think yes, reach out point. to those, reach out to those students because it's, you know, again, social media has made communication so easy these days that yes. ask, hey, I'm a new student or I'm thinking about going to to whatever college right mm -hmm. can we can you answer a question do you have time for me to speak with you mm -hmm. and i can students will talk to students so don't be afraid of reaching out to those because you know one if they have if they have a great experience they will share that with you if, if they have a shit experience they want to share that with you but perhaps also want to help you have a better one right right no, i i love that yes yeah 
the idea of the social media is actually something, especially in the last 18 months, that has become even, I think, more so um, for two reasons. Number one, uh, you've got COVID and people had to create space and create stories and create opportunities for discussion, right? Um, and to show off what they're doing. Um, yeah, in a visual way, especially Instagram. I think Instagram has actually become this very, uh, it's, it, it does two things. Number one, it tells stories. And the other thing, it's, it provides us a, a safe space for people to gather for activism. And that yep. actually, that second space, that, that second reason was going to be uh, the other thing I highlighted, which is um, last summer after the George Floyd uh, murder, Instagram exploded as a uh, social justice space. Yes. And it, it moved. For, I, I keep saying to people, it moved from taking pictures of your dinner because we were all stuck at home. No one wants to, no one gave a shit what you're cooking at home. Okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yes. it became a space where everybody got to see, okay, this is where we're gathering for the protest and this is what we're doing in our community and this is how I'm showing Black Lives Matter. And, you know, so it actually uh, became a space to, to show activism and engagement. So um, and no, that's and, a really good point. And with that also, that. yeah, and also that it brought the concept of sort of intersectionality, right? Like the Black right. Lives Matter movement spread the conversation how trans folks of color or LGBTQ, you know, queer people of color are either part of the movement or have been excluded from the movement. So right. it sort of increased these conversations because, I mean, especially last summer, we couldn't go anywhere. Right. right. So it was a moment that you had to be and you had to reflect. And then folks were more vocal about sort of, hey, listen, I'm I'm also black, but I'm trans. I'm not, not you know, non-binary. Mm -hmm. I do matter. And but because of the narrative that was out there, it's sort of like just or forgetting who we, you know, I think there was a lot of um, discussions around what the news mm -hmm. or who mm -hmm. gets to be that. The, the, the person on the television, right? When we know that trans women of color are murdered at a higher rate than any other individuals out there, right? So it's just like, it, it's, it has been become a very, very easy place for us to have these conversations. I mean, obviously social media also has negative negatives, obviously. Yes. But thinking about the positives just allows more um, folks to see themselves, right? Yep. So... So, I mean, you, when you went, you, you said, talked earlier about, uh, you got into UMass Amherst, but you ended up going to University of Hartford, right? Yes. Yes. So when you made that decision, what was the life like, uh, for queer students on campus at that time? And what, have you been back to your alma mater and seen what, uh, the queer life's life is like on campus now and what's changed? <sighs> I think that's so interesting. I'm just so funny that you mentioned that because I was just talking about it with somebody um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I remember when I, I when I was a first year student there, I only knew that the gay again gay people lived in the heart school, which is mm -hmm. the the arts performance, the musical theater folks. Like that's how I knew where I could find the gay boys, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've, I, you know, and I was, like I said, I was part of the GSA um, spectrum. I believe they're still there. Uh, but we were a small community within that, um, which, you know, allowed me to sort of like spread my wings and become all these other positions on campus. I think, I, I, I haven't been back recently, but I, from what I've seen on, so, again, social media, 
and um, just communications through the alumni office and all that fun stuff mm-hmm. has definitely increased. I mean, again, app, social apps have yeah. also been created since I was in college yes. that allowed, again, you social got on the apps. Grinder. You didn't the have grinder. the grinder back then. I know. There was no <laughs> grinder or scruff or tender or bub, you know, all those. You know, I remember we had gay.com, which I was like, who even goes to this website anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. It was like, let's Is go to gay.com the chat room. still there? I don't, I don't think so, so, but I, I love going to those chat rooms. Those chat rooms <laughs> were the bomb. Anyway, <laughs> but because the increasing of the social, sort of like those, especially those apps, I think even people who have, who were not feeling comfortable, who have not feeling comfortable of who they are or being able to sort of, be out there publicly. Um, I think I think there's more conversations and more you know interactions. Yeah, I haven't been really been back, but I think that um, it'd be interesting to see how the organization has grown. But I could imagine I can't I could imagine that it hasn't grown a hundred percent because I see it in my students right from right. even from two thousand five when I started to now I've seen the, the growth in queer activism and identity conversations and, you know, and all that. So. Well, and just for people to know the, if you put in gay.com into the search engine or (laughs) into your your Google, it is the Los Angeles LGBT center. And it is, uh, so they bought the um, URL. So it's, it's actually the LG L A L G B T center.org. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I remember it used to be a place where it was like entertainment and chatting and like new, it was everything. It was right. so interesting. Wow. You yeah. Bring up, but you bring up a really good point. And I, and I think that this idea about what, where people find community, um, it's not only in the lounge, it's not just in the LGBTQ no. lounge. It's, it's where they connect online um, nowadays. And, depending on where oh, a, a queer student might enroll, if they're in an urban place, like if they're in the city of Boston or New York City, they're connecting with with anybody, okay, exactly. through these apps and, and through social media. Um, but if you're in a very rural place, you're yes. you're more limited, but you're not limited to the campus. There are people Correct. who live off campus that you're with. Um, and we and, were, and, and just, I just want to also put it out there that, like, I'm going to say that our you know, my queer colleagues and peers and family and I, like we were doing the online dating online thing before it became a thing with like non-gay folks. So like we were, (laughs) you were trailblazers. We were like, yeah, let's be honest. We were like those, we, because that was the only space that we could find other people. We couldn't go to the bar unless there were gay bars. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's a difficult place to find depending on where you live. Like we couldn't go to a bar and say, Oh, I know that this person is going to be interested in me. No, we had to go to those chat rooms, AOL chat rooms back in the day, which now I'm looking at it. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even know why I even participating in any of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. CTM for M. Oh my God. That's so embarrassing that I even (laughs) said that out loud. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so true, but but it, uh, that was a time for me to chat with other mm-hmm. young gay people because in high school, you know, there was none, there, perhaps, or they were not out. So um, you're welcome, straight people. <laughs> we invented <laughs> social you, media. Mel. If it wasn't Tinder. for you, there would be no you took it over like everything else. <laughs> just, I know, just isn't it awful? Wait, straight <laughs> people are the worst. <laughs> 
<laughs> I say that as a as a very straight worst person. Anyway, um, there. So, so one of the things that I I don't want to let the the whole show go by without me asking this question because I I think it's a I'm not even sure it's a question. I think it's more of like, as I look back on my time uh, on campuses and, you know, having spent 30 years seeing progress and seeing how things um, move forward, uh, not only for for uh, specific communities, but just in terms of how we go about our day to day, I think there were times, especially, um, you know, I graduated from college in 1989 and that was like the height of the AIDS epidemic. There was all kinds of things going on uh, that were not in support of uh, gay students on campus. And I, my first acknowledgement of anything that happened with gay students on my campus was uh, the homecoming parade. And there was uh, the Gay Straight Alliance or uh, or whatever, I can't remember what they were called, but they they were in the parade. And I look back now, and at the time I was like, oh my God, there's 10 people walking behind that banner in front of thousands of people. Like the parade at the time, that was like a big deal at my school. Yeah. And there were thousands of people and parents. So there's your parents who were there and all this stuff. And I was like, that is like a, a tremendously brave thing. And as we kind of continue our way through over the years, I wonder, and this is my perspective in life. I'm like, it's still a brave thing. Yep. Or is it? And I need you to help me process this. Is it still a brave for someone to be a, behind a banner? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think it takes courage, again, to be publicly telling the world who you are. Because it's, for many people, that's such a private thing that they always mm-hmm. want to keep it to themselves. But um, again, um, you know, I hosted the parade. We, you know, Wentworth has been in the Boston Pride Parade for at least three years before COVID. And, you know, my students have been in the front holding a banner. And to me, that is just such a sign of confidence, courage, bravery, because they're not only representing themselves, but they feel comfortable representing an institution or vice versa, right? They represent the institution, but they also represent who they are. A hundred percent. It will continue. will always be a sign of um, bravery to me, for sure. Well, and I appreciate you saying that. And I think where where the reason I I think my brain goes there sometimes is that I say, well, look at all the progress we've had and all this. And I know that there is a lot of scrutiny that comes out, especially, you know, we're in Boston, you and I are in Boston, but there are some people in some of the coastal areas and they're like, it's not that big a deal. Why are you making this a big deal? And it is a big deal. And I I don't care if you live in in Manhattan or you live in Manhattanville in Kansas, if there is Manhattanville, Kansas. But that idea of what I hate to see is when people take their own sense of I'm comfortable with it. What's the big deal? And you and you strip the human of their agency by doing that you say you're you're making something out of this that doesn't have to happen why are you making something of this and and that's the thing i really want us to avoid is yeah it's not folks to decide 
No. Right. It's not for no. other people to decide. And the progress has been made, but also progress has not been made in some certain community, right? Right. There's a well, huge I mean, look difference. At what's happening right now with the trans community? So let's oh, I, I was just exactly going to say the trans community, the the trans folks of you know communities of color. Um, so I think I think there's a lot of assumption because progress hasn't made for certain communities that it sort of equates that other communities are feeling the same way, which is 100% not true. Well, and this is the what's happening with these attacks against trans students um, at the high school level or, or K through 12 level, and then yeah. going on to colleges and universities. Um, it's really um, grotesque because we're, we're attacking our most vulnerable children, okay, saying to them that they don't belong. Um, some of these bills that are out there saying that uh, coaches and administrators can check the genitalia of an athlete. I'm like, no. are you freaking kidding me? I'm, I, I just, I literally am trying to, there's all these things in my head where my head literally exploding. And I'm going, who wrote this? What, what person sat down and wrote this? And where, what? And, you know, and I, I have no tolerance, you know, I have, I have no tolerance for a lot of this, but, but ultimately when you peel this back and we go into arguments of why this and why that, and what's all this stuff, ultimately what's happening is you're telling a segment of the, of the community that they don't matter, don't matter. And they're freaks and they need to go. And And, that you don't belong. And you don't belong. And, and that is where as, as we absorb uh, and we, when I say we, I mean higher education absorbs these these folks who have been now traumatized, who have been othered, who have been told they don't matter, and and bring them into our communities, which are, as a whole, a bit more accepting, a bit even even a place that is just kind of like clumsying their way through it is in a better situation than what some of them have just come out of, right? Um, but when we absorb them, do you anticipate that there is going to be a different feel of students, uh, especially queer students and especially trans students as they come onto campus because of the attacks that are happening out and out in, in the political landscape? Yeah, I think there's going to be, I, I think there's going to be two, two sort of groupings, right? The grouping that, like you mentioned, have, has been traumatized, have been told you don't belong you're not part of this community who are hoping that their new home on our college campuses is the opposite. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be one group. Another group is going to be so guarded that they're not going to be willing to accept that folks are accepting, if that makes sense. Right. Right. Like, no, no, absolutely. Right. We're going to have to be able to like really show, really put ourselves for, for our students to trust us, not because of, our own doing, but because of where they're coming from and sort of like the baggage that someone else gave them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to take care of that. And we're going to have to get rid of that baggage for them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be the two, the two groupings in my eyes that you are trying to just start new, but also I don't, I don't believe you. So you're going to have yeah. to do a lot harder for me to believe you. Yeah. Um, and we just have to do it. Right. 
And that's the proof's in the pudding. The proof is out there is that when we're able to actually within these environments create brave spaces, uh, mm-hmm. the Alex Cabalism of the night, <laughs> um, if we're able to create these brave spaces where students and their their supporters and the people yeah. around them actually are part of this and say, this is our community. This is what we're about. This is what we tolerate. This is what we don't tolerate. Um, and it's consistent. And they feel it on a consistent level, not only about the actions that are taken, but also going back to what we said earlier, where is the process? Where is the policies? Where are the things that protect these students within the, the mechanics of the institution? Um, that is, those are all things that, that are part of that yeah. feeling of this is my space and I, have, I am seen here. Yeah, it, it, it goes beyond the programming, like, you know, those welcome back programs, those ice cream socials. It, go, mm-hmm. it goes beyond um, having tr- safe, quote unquote, safe zone trainings, right? It has to yeah. be ingrained in the institutional blueprint. Like, it has to, has to come from those moments. Because if yes. that doesn't work, it doesn't matter how many ice cream welcome back socials or how many pride events do you have. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a policy in place that will protect these students because if they're not, they don't feel protected, they're not going to be able to enjoy anything else that you give them. Absolutely. No. So, and that's the great way to go out. Um, that was actually a perfect way to go out. Um, and so I want to thank Alex Cabal. Um, this has been, uh, the weekly office hours with Dr. DeVoe. Um, and Alex is just, it's been a pleasure. I hope you come back. Um, I'd love to have you uh, come back anytime. Bring bring your posse with you of whoever you want. Um, even yes. your husband would be more than actually no. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, I mean, he's. I'm not gonna lie. I feel like people like him better, so I'm okay with that. You know, he does the career coaching. So anytime you want to talk about career, and- we could. We could absolutely have him come on and talk career. I would love that. So yeah, but I would love to have you come back. Um, and spread the world word about office hours with Dr. DeVoe. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for being in the audience. Um, and we will see you next week on office hours with Dr. DeVoe. Have a wonderful weekend. Have a good one, y'all. Thank you.